You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Okay, so um, I'm going to read part of a novel. Um, the thing is that I was thinking of all my novels that I'd written, and I realized that I hadn't written one um, in first person ever. So I thought, because I, I get bored easily, so I thought, well, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to read in first person, or write in first person. And um, what happened was that this voice, I heard this voice that was um, first person, but unfortunately male. So that made it twice as hard. And <laughs> so you have to sort of imagine me as, um, I guess, male. I don't know. Okay. So um, it was Ben Avery who introduced me to Livy, Livy and her haunted family. This was in 1971 when Ben and I were in college. A lifetime ago, another world, but I can still remember all of it, every motion, every color, every note of music. For one thing, it was the year that I fell in love, but for another, I don't think that anyone who experienced what I did that year could possibly forget it. Ben had been dating Livy's sister Maddie, and he'd invited me along for a couple of days at the family's farm. They lived up in Napa Valley in the wine country, so Ben and I left Berkeley on Friday afternoon after our last classes and headed north. Back then, Ben drove a humpback 1966 Volvo, a car that seemed ancient even though it was only five years old. It smelled of mold and rust and oil, and to this day, whenever I find myself in a car like that, I feel young and ready for anything, any wild scheme that Ben and I would propose. The car went through a constant cycle of electrical problems. Either the generator didn't work, or the regulator, or the battery. And on this trip, as on so many others, the battery warning light flickered on and off, a dull red like the baleful eye of Mordor. <laughs> About half an hour out of Berkeley, Ben left the freeway. We saw cows grazing and then rows of grapevines, their branches stretching out horizontally over wires. Ben started telling me about the last time he'd taken the car in, and the Swedish mechanic who told him the problem was with the generator. He did a goofy imitation of the, of the mechanic, who I was sure was nothing like Ben portrayed him, but I barely paid attention. I was thinking about my psychology test on Monday and wondering once again if this was a stupid idea, if I should have stayed back at the apartment we shared and studied. Tell me again why I'm coming with you, I said, interrupting him in the middle of the story. You'll like them, Ben said. They're fun. Come on, Will. Have I ever disappointed you? Disappointed? No, I said. Frustrated, enraged, terrified. Terrified? When were you ever terrified? That time you took your mom's car out for a drive. Every kid does that. You were 12, I said. <laughs> yeah, Ben said, well. And you haven't gotten much better since then. Slow down. Ah, oh, God, you're not going to try to pass that car, are you? The Volvo rattled over into the oncoming lane for a terrifying moment, and then Ben swore and moved back. Where did all these cars come from all of a sudden, he said. It's like they grow them around here or something, along with the grapes. A bumper crop, I said. Give me a break, he said, not missing a beat. Don't be foolish, I said. Aww. Have I ever steered you wrong? Aww. Yes, yes you have, I said, returning to my first theme. They're fun, I told you, he said. He could usually keep up with me like this. It came of knowing each other since kindergarten. She has a sister. Not as pretty, you said. Well, I would say that, wouldn't I? Maddie's beautiful and talented and creative and Livy's a pale shadow. 
No, no, they're different, that's all. Livy's a chemistry major. Chemistry, I said. What have you gotten me into here? We'll talk about the chromium model molecule or something. Is chromium a molecule? I don't even know. Stick close to me, Ben. Can't. Maddie and I have plans. Oh, great, I said. Ben turned left. We bumped over a railroad track, then headed up a twisting mountain road. Trees stood along either side, just starting to turn autumn red. The sun set behind us, throwing long shadows along the road. Look, you'll like it, Ben said. It's this huge farmhouse that they've added to every generation. You get lost just looking for the bathroom. And acres of vineyards and their own wine label. Livy plans the dinner around the, the wine. Last time she made, Livy cooks? Yeah, didn't I tell you? She's a terrific cook. Interested now? She cooks in the kitchen, right? Not over her Bunsen burners. Adding chromium to the meatloaf? Because I think I have a chromium allergy or something. Ah, Ben said, here we are. He twisted the wheel hard and turned down an unpaved road. The road had a brief argument with the car, shaking it back and forth. Then finally, they seemed to resolve their differences, and we continued on. A few minutes later, we pulled into a dirt lot. The house behind it looked as if Hansel and Gretel's witch had taken a correspondence course in architecture. The front was the craftsman style so common in California, with deep eaves, a wide porch, a gabled roof, a couple of stone chimneys. Behind that, though, was another house stretched halfway along its front to the first. This one attached halfway along its front to the first. This one was Victorian, with curlicues and gigaws and a round pointed turret with a weather vane on top. Step back behind that was yet another front, timbered and plastered like a Tudor cottage. And somewhere in the midst of all this, a cathedral tower lifted high above the other buildings, looking at as bewildered and out of place as a man who had lost his glasses. The front door opened and two dogs ran out, barking. Then a girl who looked about 13 came out onto the porch and hurried after them. I turned to Ben angrily, wondering if this was one of his jokes, though it seemed a lot more mean-spirited than they usually were. Oh, no, he said. No, no, no. That's Rose, the third sister. The rest of them should be around here somewhere. We left the car and got our duffel bags out of the back seat. The front door opened again, and Maddie stepped down to meet us. I'd met Maddie before, of course, with Ben. I'd even gone to see her in a play. I don't know if she was as beautiful as Ben said, but she was certainly dramatic, vividly present. She had long brown hair, the color of polished mahogany, and brown eyes that seemed lit from within, like a lantern behind smoked glass. Her teeth stuck out slightly, the result, she'd said, of refusing to wear her retainer when she was younger. At first glance, she seemed tall. Then you'd realize, with the start of surprise, that she was actually less than average height, that it was all an illusion caused by her long legs and the graceful way she carried herself. Ben, she said, hugging him. She gave me a hug next, much shorter. I'm so glad you could make it. Livy, this is Ben's friend, Will Taylor. I turned, startled. I hadn't seen Livy come out. She looked a bit like Maddie, but darker, with black hair tied in a thick braid down her back and nearly black eyes. And she seemed different from her sister in other ways, too. More self-contained, self-sufficient, as if she carried an important secret. Maddie was always open. She would say anything to anybody. In contrast, Livy seemed exotic, mysterious. Maddie pulled her shawl around her. It had bright blocks of color, red and yellow and green, from Mexico or South America somewhere. It's cold out here, she said. Let's go inside. That's my shawl, Livy said. I'm just borrowing it, Maddie said. The way you borrowed my boots and my embroidered blouse and here, you can have it back. No, no, you take it. I just want to say goodbye. Goodbye, dear shawl. It was good knowing you for the little time we had together. <laughs> Livy reached out for the shawl. Maddie slipped away and ran for the porch, laughing. By the time Ben and I caught up with them, Maddie was holding the door open for us, and we went in. The living room was in the craftsman style, too, huge and dark, with wide plank floors and wooden rafters. 
One wall held a fireplace big enough for Ben to have parked the Volvo in. A small fire burned inside it, seeming to shiver within the vast space. Around the fireplace was a flowery pattern of jade green and gold tiles with writing in black Gothic letters just above the mantelpiece. There were built-in bookcases to either side, the shelves crammed with books, some standing, some lying down or leaning diagonally against their fellows. You can leave your bags here, Maddie said. We set them down near the door under a line of pegs that held coats and scarves and dog leashes and then followed Maddie past some overstuffed couches and chairs. Drifts of dog fur floated out in front of us as we walked. There was a fireplace in the dining room too and another built-in cabinet, the kind most people would put their best china in, although Maddie's family used it as another bookcase. A wooden table ran the length of the room with benches on either side. The table was mostly set, but Livy came out of the kitchen carrying some napkins and silverware. Do you need help, Maddie asked. Great timing as usual, Maddie, Livy said. No, I'm pretty much done here. Maddie straightened a few napkins. A heavy terracotta pot stood in the middle of the table with a pine tree in it half as tall as I was, and I went over to pick it up. No, leave that there, Maddie said, and Livy said at the same time, no, that's okay where it is. I set it down, and Livy carefully moved it back a few inches. I thought it would get in the way, I said. Maddie and Livy looked at each other. Our mother would have a fit if anyone moved it, Maddie said. Okay, I said. I wondered uneasily what other family customs I would violate in the last few hours. Where is your mother anyway, Ben asked, feeding the chickens, Maddie said. Suddenly I realized I didn't even know their last name. What's the mother's name, I whispered to Ben. Sylvie. I can't call her Sylvie, can I? Sylvie what? Sure you can. Sylvie Fire Robin. What the hell, I thought. What kind of name is Fire Robin? Ben had told me the family were hippies, but I wasn't expecting one of those pretentious pseudo-Indian names. It's Fire Robin's name, sir. This was one of the phrases we passed back and forth the way other people quoted baseball statistics. It's from Catch-22. Someone says it whenever he's introduced to Yossarian. Usually it made me laugh, but right now I was too nervous. Still, I realized I hadn't heard the name right. Fire what's-its? Fire, Ben said, Abin. What does it mean? It means quitting time in German, Livy said, coming up behind me. Later I learned that this was one of her traits, that she was never quite where you thought she would be. Getting off work, festive evening. Really, how'd you get a name like that? Maybe we had a really lazy ancestor, Livy said, heading back to the kitchen. <laughs> Rose came in, followed by her dogs, and then Mrs. Fire Robin. The, the mother had dark hair streaked with gray and piled on top of her head, and dark eyes behind black framed glasses. She was plumper than her daughters, and she looked tired, a bit vague about everything, as if she'd suddenly found herself having dinner with no idea of how she'd gotten there. That could have been because of the glasses, though. The thick lenses made her eyes look distant, blurred, like fish in an aquarium. We sat down to eat, and I have to admit that the food was everything Ben said it would be. Terrific pork chops, homemade bread, bean salad, pasta with pumpkin sauce instead of tomato, three or four kinds of wine, and this was long before Nouvelle Cuisine. This was just Livy making, making up a dinner out of whatever she'd bought that day. How long have you been here, Mrs. Fire Robin, I asked. She was sitting across from me, and I could only catch glimpses of her <coughs> face through the pine needles. At this point, I wasn't going to move the planter, though, not for anything. Here? Oh, I got here a few minutes ago, didn't I, Livy? Livy and Maddie looked at each other, trying not to laugh. No, I meant, how long has the vineyard been here? When did your family start making wine? It belongs to my husband's family, really. They came to the United States, oh, 60 years ago, something like that, 70. Rose knows, Maddie said. Rose supposes she knows, as Livy said. It sounded like something they repeated a lot, a private family nursery rhyme. 
I do know, Rose said. The fire robins came here in 1888 from Germany. We have a lot of relatives all over the valley. She turned to me and said, very serious. I'm writing a history of the vineyard. I wonder where Mr. Fire Robin was, but it didn't seem like something I could ask. Yet another thing Ben hadn't told me. I felt as if I'd been dropped over enemy territory without a map, hell, without a parachute. This is a wonderful dinner, Livy, Mrs. Fire Robin said. That seemed a safe enough subject. I turned to Livy, who sat next to me, and said, it's delicious. Where did you learn to cook like this? We just started experimenting, Livy said, Maddie and I, when we were kids. So you cook too, I asked Maddie. Not really, Livy said. Mostly she just played around with the spices. <laughs> Maddie laughed. I like their names, she said. They sounded so exotic. Tarragon, turmeric, cardamom. I put in anything that sounded good. She made sweet hamburgers one night, Livy said. What was in that one? Cinnamon? I don't remember. I wrote a poem about it, though, about all the names of the spices. Can I read it, Ben asked. Of course not. I was 12. Do you still write poems, I asked. Oh, Maddie's a complete renaissance woman, Ben said, looking at her admiringly. Actress, writer, dancer, what else? She used to recite poetry when she was 10, Livy said. I'd felt the rivalry between the sisters all evening, and I thought this was just one more example of it, Livy making fun of her sister's younger self. But to my surprise, Maddie pushed her hair back and looked out at us, her face serious. The moon was a ghostly galleon tossed upon cloudy seas, she said. The road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor, and the highwayman came riding, 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 Livy joined in, up to the old inn door. You left out one of the writings, Maddie said. He put too many in, Livy said. They laughed. Will and I are thinking about writing a movie, Ben said. It's called Theater Closed for Repairs. We told this joke before, of course. It was part of the little routines we did, our two-man band. People either got it or told us we were idiots. This time, Matt, Livy and Maddie laughed, though Mrs. Fire Robin looked a little confused. I started to relax, to eat, without worrying about making conversation. Pass the chromium, I said to Ben, and he grinned and sent over one of the wine bottles. Rose went out somewhere after dinner. Ben took a joint out of his shirt pocket and lit it. All through high school and college, Ben had had the ability to smoke dope without attracting any attention, a sort of superpower that had served him well on many occasions. <laughs> this time, though, I couldn't, I couldn't see how he could possibly get away with it. Hey, man, I whispered urgently, nodding at Mrs. Fire Robin. It's okay, Ben said. He sucked in the smoke and held it, then passed the joint to Maddie. When she was done, she passed it to her mother, and I watched, faintly scandalized, as Mrs. Fire Robin toked as if she'd done it all her life. I don't remember much of the rest of the evening. The room grew dark, <laughs> and Livy set out silver candlesticks along the table and lit the candles. We talked about the horrible war in Vietnam and the elections next year, which we hoped would get rid of Nixon. We talked about the draft lottery and how Ben and I had both miraculously gotten low numbers and so avoided the draft. We got hungry again, and Livy went back to the kitchen for second and third helpings. Finally, Mrs. Fire Robin stretched and said she was going to bed. Where's Will going to sleep, Livy asked. Mrs. Fire Robin blinked. I thought he was with you, dear, she said. I was too stoned to be feel embarrassed, though I sensed I would have under other conditions. I thought Livy blushed, though it could have been the candlelight. We could put him in the moaning bedroom, she said. The moaning bedroom, I said. I don't know if I like the sound of that. <laughs> she doesn't really moan very often, Livy said. No one's heard her for a while now. <laughs> Who doesn't? Our ghost. Livy smiled at me, then seemed to see something in my expression. Okay, what about Johan's room? Is Johan another ghost? I don't think so. I'm not sure who he was, to tell you the truth. 
some German ancestor or another, Rose knows. She looked around blearily, then seemed to remember Rose had gone. Okay, I said. <coughs> Livy and I stood and went back out into the living room. I got my duffel bag and followed her down a hall and up a grand polished staircase. Black and white photographs hung on the wall over the stairs, groups of unsmiling people in old-fashioned clothes, those German ancestors, probably. We went down another hall, stopped at a closet to gather sheets and blankets, then took a few more turns, and Livy opened a door and motioned me inside. We made up the bed together, first the sheets and two pillows, none of which matched, then a heavy goose-down comforter, and finally a threadbare quilt covered with patchwork stars. The bathroom's down this way, she said, heading back to the door. I memorized the twists and turns to the bathroom, remembering what Ben had said about getting lost. Good night, she said. Good night, I said. Thanks for dinner. I woke in the middle of the night. I traced the steps carefully to the bathroom, turned to the left, three doors down to the right, and stood for a long time in front of the toilet, getting rid of all the wine I drunk, and then headed back. The way back looked different somehow, and after a while I found myself in what seemed like another house altogether, one with carpeted floors and flowered wallpaper. Moonlight shone in through the windows, and I remembered uneasily that I hadn't seen any windows on my way out. Something stood ahead of me in the hallway, a tall apparition with glowing red eyes. I screamed. A door opened and light streamed out into the hall. A cat jumped down from a table and ran off. I leaned against the wall, breathing heavily. A few working neurons in my brain shouted, cat, cat, to the rest of my body, which ignored them and continued to panic. My palms were damp. I wiped them on the jeans I'd worn to bed. What is it, someone said. It was Livy coming out of the open door. Sorry, I said, finally starting to calm down. It was just a cat. I didn't know you had cats. A few, Livy said, along with the dogs. She looked at me with those dark eyes a while longer, saying nothing. Her hair was unbraided, and she, wore, she was wearing a loose white nightgown that fell to her ankles. Her feet were bare. I had the feeling that I could walk up to her, kiss her, take her into her room, and that she would welcome it. I was very aware of Ben and Maddie in their own room, somewhere in the house. We stood still for a long moment, and then one of us said, good night, and the other repeated it, good night. I found my room easily after that. I opened the door and went in, cursing my cowardice. But what had I seen after all? What if I had been wrong? Thank you very much. Lisa Goldstein, reading from, what's the title of this novel? I don't, I don't know. An untitled novel. <laughs> An untitled novel. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.